0: How can, you not, how can you not be motivated to keep listening after listening to that video and the song in that video? And I'm like, hoorah, let's do this thing. All right. Well, today I want to talk about the life-changing power that small conversations can have. And we all get how this works. I bet if I gave you some time to actually sit down and think about it, and then we sat down over coffee pretty soon we could start listing off all different sorts of examples, ways that small conversations have influenced our lives in some pivotal ways. Maybe it's been a teacher who spoke, to, who spoke into you while you were still just a young child, giving you a fresh vision, a big vision for your life, and some of the gifts God has given to you. Maybe it's been a coach who encouraged you and, and came alongside you in a tough time and spoke strength and encouragement in, into this difficult time. Or maybe it was just a friend Or a parent who offered soundbite wisdom at this key moment in your life and in your development. I know for me, there's a few stories that come to my mind as I think about these sorts of small conversations that have had a huge influence. I think about a time when I was a teenager and I was about to make a foolish relationship decision. My, my dad heard about it, and we were driving somewhere as a family. So, so we kind of got to where we had arrived. And I remember my dad pulling me aside at night. My, the rest of my family went inside to where we were going. So here we were just standing outside. And in about two to three minutes, my dad spoke into me very gently, but very directly. And he just let me know what, I, what, what he thought I was doing was very unwise. He gave me an example from his own life. And then he went inside. Again, it was less than five minutes, very short but it made a huge difference in my life. I still remember that conversation and what he shared with me that night. It still shapes my perspective on certain things today. One conversation, big difference. Or there was another time when Carrie and I were engaged and we hit a bump in our relationship, a a big bump in our relationship, or at least it felt big enough that, that we couldn't see around it. And as we tried to steer our way forward, we, we just kept hitting into this same bump. And, and we got to the point where we didn't know if there was a way forward through this, through this bump we were hitting. And so, so what we did is we called our premarital coach, this guy that had been coming alongside of us. And, and he met with us at the Burger King at 120th and Center. The, the place to have all these sorts of important conversations, right? I mean, but, but I remember the booth we were sitting in. There at that Burger King, and in, in the course of 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so, he shared some tremendously helpful perspective and encouragement and advice to us. His, his advice was so valuable. The, the thing is, if you would have been sitting at that same Burger King on that same day and looked at us, our conversation with this guy that was coming alongside us, it would have looked like any other conversation. But it wasn't. That's that, that ordinary conversation had a big influence. I mean, I'm so glad that it did because now 16 plus years into my marriage to Carrie, I'm so glad we had that small conversation. And so we all know how small conversations can send out big ripples into our lives that influence us in significant ways. And if you reflect long enough on the, on the influence these small conversations have had with you, you start to approach your own small conversations with others in much more intentional ways. Now, now, now this isn't a sermon on the power of words or how to be a good conversationalist. Instead, what I want to do during our time together now is I want to take this thing we've been talking about, the importance of small conversations, and I want to focus very specifically on one of the big things we're about as a church, helping people find Jesus Today we're going to see how important small conversations can be as we talk to others. I I want us to get fresh vision for how we can be intentional in our own conversations. The the, the conversations that only you can have with others. Because only you have the relationships that you have, right? And, And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to know how important your small conversations with the unique relationships that you have in your life. How important these are at helping people find Jesus. And then if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably here because you're at least interested in Christianity and learning more about it. So today I want to talk about finding Jesus, uh, 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 about why that's so central, not just to Brookside, but to Christianity around the world. Or, Or if nothing else, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll learn a little bit more why Christians can be so weird, you think sometimes, and give you a handle on why we talk about Jesus as much as we talk about Jesus. So so here's where we're going today. We'll be looking at at this statement and just spending our time here. As we help people find Jesus, I want us to see that there are no small conversations. As we help people find Jesus, there are no small conversations. We're going to see this today in Acts chapter 8, but let me set things up this way and give you a little bit of context. As we've been tracking through Acts in this series, you know that there haven't been a lot of small conversations so far. So far, we've been tracking along with the apostles. They've been kind of the primary characters so far in Acts for a lot of it. And they've been talking to crowds that number in the thousands of people, right? And then thousands of people have been responding to the message of Jesus. So, so, so think stadium or telecast here, not, not, not a table at Starbucks, and then things stay on the big scale as we get into Acts chapter 8. If you read through Acts chapter 7, as you just, as you just tip into Acts chapter 8, you, you read that some, some persecution had hit the early church. And there's this systematic witch hunt for believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus. But the church that, 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 that had been based in Jerusalem, it, it, it scatters, but it doesn't scatter and lay low. As they scatter because of this persecution, they advance the ball down the field. Check it out with me starting in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Here's what we read. Those who had been scattered, again, because of the persecution, preached the word wherever they went. And then Philip, this guy that isn't one of the 12 apostles, he's just a faithful follower of Jesus, living well for Jesus. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And then then when the crowds... Heard Philip, so again, big, big number of people. When the crowds heard Philip and to what he said, so they're dialed in. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So, there are just those few verses, we see Philip talking about Jesus to crowds of people, and everybody's tuned in. Big things are happening on a big scale here in this city in Samaria. There is joy in the whole city. So, So in terms of scope, in terms of scale, this is big. And then God takes Philip from this revival among these crowds in the city, and he sends Philip to one man in the desert, miles outside of Jerusalem. The, the, the contrast couldn't be more striking. From the city to one man. For, 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 from, from the city to, 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 to the country. From the crowds to one man. I mean, you, you, you see how, how, how stark that difference is here. Where Philip had been just recently in Acts 4, then where we find him, by the, or in Acts 10, where we find him in the, at the end of Acts chapter 8. The, the contrast couldn't be more striking. But remember what we're looking at today. As we help people find Jesus, there are no small conversations. And then what we're going to see is Philip has this conversation with this one other guy in Acts chapter 8. We're going to get a clinic on how to talk to others about Jesus, on how to help people find Jesus. What we're going to see here in Acts chapter 8 means a whole lot for our lives today. And here's what we're going to see, just to give you a glimpse of where we're going. As we want to talk with people about Jesus, help people find Jesus, it always starts with taking a step of obedience. We look for opportunity, and then we open our mouths and talk about Jesus. Now, for all of you who can appreciate alliteration, uh, don't look past the work that it took to find three O's here in these three points, right? But so, but, but so that's, what we're, that's where we're going today in Acts chapter 8. Now, let's pick up a story we'll be reading through in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Let's get there. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26, here's where it starts. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, to give you just a sense of distance here, Gaza is about 50 miles outside of Jerusalem. And so God is telling Philip, hey, pack your bags. You're taking a trip for a few days here. And and I love the next phrase that we read there. And so Philip went. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, or the queen of the Ethiopians. So, so, so this guy, this eunuch, is an important guy. He's basically the CFO of his country, and he's a eunuch, or he's a castrated man, which was sometimes a condition for serving in certain high-level positions in his culture. No further comment about that. And and then this man had gone from Jerusalem, or had gone from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. This is a distance of about 1,000 miles, five months worth of travel. And then verse 28, and on his way home from spending time in Jerusalem, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip runs up to this chariot. So, so obviously, there's this conversation that's about to happen between Philip and this eunuch. But don't miss that this conversation happens because Philip is obedient here. God directs him very specifically and in some, in some crazy ways to say: go go down to this road and talk to this guy. Go find that that chariot. Now, the thing we want to see is that Philip goes. I believe God can and does speak to us in some very specific ways still today. But I don't want us to get so focused on that that we miss Philip's simple, faithful step of obedience here. Because when you think about it, we don't need to wait for some personalized invitation before we go in response to Jesus' command. Again, may, maybe we'll get some sort of direct Tim, go here and talk to this person sort of experience. Maybe we will, but maybe we won't. And even if we never get that sort of specific word, all of us here today are still told to go. We've been seeing this a bunch so far in the book of Acts. It started all the way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 this verse, this kind of this theme verse for Acts, Jesus talking to his apostles and to his followers today, to us. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll go. You'll tell people about me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so all of us need to not wait for some personalized invitation, but all of us just need to respond to Jesus' command that we saw here in Acts 1. We need to be Jesus' witnesses in the places God has for us in our neighborhoods, and then all the way out to the ends of the earth. And so helping people find Jesus, it always starts with just this posture of obedience, this this willingness to obey, this willingness to go is following Jesus' command to make disciples. Where, where we build meaningful relationships with people who don't know Jesus. We serve others in our neighborhoods. We spend ourselves for the good of those around us. We we put ourselves out there. And the thing that I want you to see is there are things that you can do, you individually, that no one else here can because of the unique place God has you, because of the unique relationships God has put around you. But if we're going to influence people, help point them to Jesus, it always starts with this willingness to obey and to go, to talk with others about Jesus. And so we start with obedience, and then we look for opportunities. As we seek to help people find Jesus, as we have these small conversations we will find that there are some people we talk to where it is just evident that God has already been very clearly at work in their lives before our conversation with them. It's evident in their spiritual interest. It's evident in the questions they're asking. And I want us to seize these opportunities. We see this as we keep reading through the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 30. There it says, Philip ran up to the chariot. So he he finds this chariot going south towards Gaza. He hears the man in the chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then Philip just asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And and I love that Philip starts with a question. As we look for the opportunities in the relationships God has put around us, asking questions is such an important way to find out where people are, to find out where, where their spiritual interest is at. To find out the specific questions that they're asking. And then the the, the eunuch responds. How can I, verse 31, unless someone explains it to me. And so then the eunuch invites Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. And so, so Philip doesn't force his way in here. There's no coercion, right? This isn't against the eunuch's will. Philip asks him a question and the eunuch invites Philip to come up and tell him more. And so verse 32, here's the passage of scripture that eunuch is reading. These these few verses from Isaiah 53 is where these are from. It says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So this this passage, these few verses in Isaiah 53 are talking about somebody who was clearly deprived of justice. Who was treated unfairly. And, And the eunuch just asks the natural question in light of that. He asks Philip, who's this talking about? Please, is this prophet talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? I mean, talk about opportunity. Philip had it easy in in some sense because here's this guy who was interested enough in Israel's God to travel 1,000 miles from his home country to go worship in Jerusalem. And now he's on his way back from that and he's reading Isaiah 53. And if you know anything about Isaiah 53, it's one of those neon light blinking lights pointing ahead to Jesus. That's who this passage is talking about. So, so, so Philip had it easy, the table was set for him to step into this space, for him to step into this opportunity here, to answer these questions the eunuch was asking, and to point him towards Jesus. So the opportunity was there, and it was clear. Now, now in our own conversations, the opportunities we have, the, the space we have to, to step into, may not always be quite as easy as what we read about here in Acts chapter 8. But don't let that keep you from looking for the opportunities that are there. From from trying to find out the questions the people you're talking to, the questions they are asking. Don't let that keep you from finding out where their spiritual interest lies and then looking for ways to connect that to Jesus. And so as we work to help others find Jesus, And the life that he offers, we take steps of obedience. We look for opportunities. And then finally we open our mouths and we talk about Jesus. As we find opportunity, we we step into that space and we tell others about the gospel. Who Jesus is and what he's done. And this is exactly what Philip does. In verse 35 we read, it says, "And And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. There in Isaiah 53, he started there with the specific questions the eunuch was asking, and he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Philip had such a great awareness of who Jesus was and everything that he'd done for us on the cross that Philip was able to start with the eunuch's specific spot where he was going, right? Isaiah 53, he's able to start there and connect that to Jesus. Philip had spent so much time in the truths of the gospel— that he, that he was gospel fluent, right? It just, it just came so naturally for him to speak about Jesus because he'd been soaking in everything about who Jesus was and what Jesus offers. And I, I love that term, gospel fluency, where word just flowed out of him naturally. It was his native tongue. When, uh, when Carrie and I were living in Chicago, just finishing up some seminary uh, for, for me while we were there, uh, during our last few months there, We sent Carrie to Guatemala as a sort of gift for putting her, or or, or for for her putting me through school. Let me say that right, for her putting me through school. So I don't know if it was a gift, if she paid for it, but... But don't tell her that, you know, even though she's sitting here today. So, so, so it was, we'll still call it a gift. So, so we sent her to Guatemala for about six weeks. She'd studied a bunch of Spanish before that through high school and into college. And she just it was, it was, at the, was at the point with her ability with the language that she was consistently told, hey, if you, if you want to get even better, if you want to approach greater fluency, increase your ability even more with Spanish, you just need to go immerse yourself in a Spanish-speaking country. And so that's what she did. She went to a a, a language school where her teachers, even her tutors, didn't speak any English. The home that she stayed in for those six weeks she was there, the people there in that home didn't speak any English. And so that forced her to use her Spanish. She surrounded herself with it. She immersed herself in it. And then you know what? She came back after those six weeks, and she knew Spanish a whole lot better, She still likes to use it. She'll be watching movies on Netflix or whatever. She'll put on Spanish subtitles just because she loves to still use her Spanish. She looks for a little way she hears it in the store or whatever. She lights up when she hears it being spoken. But her ability with Spanish, it absolutely depended on her immersing herself in it for that period of time. Now, I talk with people all the time who want to be able to do what we see Philip do here in Acts chapter 8. Where they say, man, Tim, I, I, I'm challenged by how he's able to start with the specific questions the eunuch is asking there. And he's able to get from there to Jesus. And so people talk to me say, Tim, how do we do that? I mean, I, I want to be able to increase in my ability to do that over the course of my lifetime. We all want that. But the thing is, that there are so many good tools out there, but it always starts with us just immersing ourselves in life with Jesus. So, so we become more fluent in the gospel with who Jesus is and what he's done. We immerse ourselves in it so it spills out of us naturally. And then just like with any language, you, you become fluent in it and then you start to use it. So we immerse ourselves in, in, into this thing that Jesus offers, this life that he offers, who Jesus is, and then we talk with others about it. Maybe in big ways, but often, in small ways. We, we, we just speak that gospel language. That language about Jesus. And then we realize what we're seeing today. The, 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 this, the, the, the where, we're, where we're turning where we started. Where we're, even these small conversations can be used in big ways. Because remember, as we, as we help people find Jesus, there are no small conversations. Even these small conversations, or at least the conversations that maybe seem small... They can be and they will be used by God in some big, big ways. And the, and the truth of that statement, that there are no small conversations, that means that every one of us here today is important. Every one of us. Because, yeah, there's, there's still a place for, for, for the crowds, right? There's still a place for the stadiums and the teleconferences. As, as, we, as we talk about Jesus, we want to do the, the, the stuff on the big scale that we can. We, we've seen that in Acts. We'll keep doing that. But if we're going to help people find Jesus, we also need to take every opportunity we have in our small conversations that only you can have because of the unique relationships that only you have and help use those small conversations as this meaningful, authentic way to talk to people about Jesus, to help them find Jesus and to point them to Jesus. And so we take a step of obedience. We look for opportunities and then we open up and we share the gospel. We talk about who Jesus is and the difference that he's made and continues to make in our our lives, for our lives. And then we do this because we believe that God will use some of these conversations. Lord willing, God will use many of these conversations. And people will respond to the gospel and lean in. Across all of the cultural differences that we've seen here between Philip, this Jewish man, and this Ethiopian eunuch over here. Across all of these cultural differences, the gospel communicates. And the eunuch leans in and the eunuch responds to the gospel. He places his faith in Jesus we're going to see this, we'll, we'll just, let's just pick up the story in verse 36 as we keep tracking through it. So, so, so as they traveled along the road, they, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so, so Philip had obviously talked enough about responding to Jesus here about trusting Jesus and then responding to him, that the Philip just naturally says, oh, okay, I want to trust Jesus, and then how can I get baptized? What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He had trusted Jesus in his heart, and now he wants to display his faith in Jesus in this external act, this important act of baptism. And then we'll pick it up in verse 38. And so, so he gave orders, the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Crazy, crazy line there, you know. But, 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 then, uh, but then the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way, listen to this, he went on his way rejoicing. That the eunuch who had started out this passage searching and confused, he ends this passage rejoicing. That's what the gospel does in the lives of individuals. And then verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. And So so, so what we see here is the eunuch responded to the gospel. He leaned in. He publicly expressed his faith in baptism and, and he found this joy. He leaves rejoicing. God used this small conversation in a very big way. So now let me turn this statement we've been looking at, let me turn it into a question. Something I want all of us to be asking ourselves, not just today, but this week. And, and, and really, every opportunity we have moving forward. How might God, or, or, or excuse me, let me say it this way. What big things, what big things will God do through the small conversations you have with others? What big things will God do through the small conversations you and only you can have with the unique relationships you have in your life. And then passages like this in, in Acts are, are why we talk a lot about baptism at Brookside. You, you, you can't read this passage and see how, how, how the eunuch responded to placing his faith in Christ by being baptized. You, you can't read stuff like that and not start to have questions about baptism and, and want to have conversations about baptism. And if you've been with us on Sunday mornings throughout this series in Acts, we've seen baptism a lot. Or, or if you've been reading through Acts as part of our 365 reading plan, where we want every Brookside to be reading the Bible daily. New reading plans for uh, the next three months are coming out next week, by the way. But, but, but if you've been tracking through Acts, you know that baptism comes up a lot. Baptism was so important in the life of the early church. And so as we continue the story of the church today... As we follow in their footsteps, we want to still make baptism important and talk about it a lot. The New Testament teaches very clearly that we are saved from our sins by faith in Jesus Christ, by, by God's grace, period, end of sentence. But, but then as we choose to follow Jesus, one of the things that Jesus expects will happen is Baptism. We, we we place our faith in him. Or we, we we place our faith in him by God's grace. That, that, that's that's work in our lives. But then we display our faith and Jesus' work in us through baptism. They just go together. As you read the New Testament. And, and baptism isn't some take it or leave it thing. It's, nor is it just some mechanical hoop. We want people to jump through. Baptism is so meaningful and important. And here's why. First of all, because it's an act of obedience. And we always want to start there. I mean, we, we, we never want to ignore what Jesus commands and what we see so prominently as we read through the Bible. In his final speech to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. So, so we know that final words are, are important words. So this is, this is big stuff. Jesus tells his disciples then and us today, therefore go and make disciples. Keep making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The thing we want to see there is is in Jesus' final words. He mentions baptism. It should be part of the the normal way we just think about following Jesus and showing that we're following Jesus. And then baptism is also important because, because it's this visible picture of Jesus' work for us and in us. And this is why we dunk people at Brookside. Write down Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 in your notes, and then, and then you can check it out later. But, but there in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we see very clearly that the baptism is this picture of what Jesus has done for us. When, when, when people are immersed in the water, when, when we dunk them, Right, Just to use that language, that's a picture of our burial with Christ and his death. Showing that when he died for our sins and everything that accomplished for us, that's now applied to us. We have died to the penalty and power of our sin. And then when we're raised up out of the water, that's a picture of the new life we've already found in Jesus. Just as Jesus was raised to new life, baptism, as we come up out of the water, pictures the new life we've found. Again, we we find that by grace through faith, period. But then baptism is this important, meaningful picture of what has already happened to us. And so so if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, let me just encourage you today to to do this thing, to take this seriously. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for, for just a few months or just a few weeks. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for years and years and years. There's a guy named Sam who's getting baptized on Easter. He's been following Jesus for decades. And, and, he, and he told me, Tim, I've just been putting it off. And eventually you, you get far enough away from when, when he first found Jesus and decided to follow Jesus. He said, eventually you just get far enough away from it that the excuses become easier and easier to make. But but he said, I'm getting into the water on Easter. I'm, get, I'm getting baptized on Easter because I'm tired of those excuses I know that's what they are. They're just excuses. And he said, I'm ready to take this step of faithful obedience now to what Jesus asks of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus and if you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, I want us all to be asking the question the eunuch is asking in Acts 8. What can prevent us from being baptized? Why, Why aren't we? And then let's take steps towards baptism. This isn't about preference. It's about obedience. And so here's how you can act on this. Because we never want to point you this direction without giving you some simple, clear, easy steps of obedience to follow through with this. So so you can do this. Today, go home. You can go to Brookside's homepage, brookside.net, and you'll see a logo that looks like this that just points you towards our baptism page online. There on our baptism page, you'll watch a short video It's eight minutes, so so not much of your time. You can can watch it while you're getting ready for lunch. But I encourage you to sit down and watch it closely. Watch this eight-minute video that just talks more about what baptism is and why it's so important. Just make sure we're clear on everything. Because this is an important enough step. We want to be clear on it. And then after you've watched this video, there's a link to a form you can fill out. Just filling out that form and submitting it will keep things moving And and get it to us where where, where wheels will continue moving. And then on Easter, as part of our services, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Because that's what we do on Easter. Everything Jesus' resurrection means for us and for history. We're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And we're going to celebrate all of the people expressing the new life that they have found by faith in Jesus. And just going on display. Making their lives a spotlight. Showing that Jesus is still changing lives and showing the good work of the gospel that has been applied to them. And so I'm already looking forward to that. April 16th, can't get here fast enough. But, but don't forget the thing you can do today. Go home, get online, watch the video, and fill out the form. And then we'll pick it up from there. All right, let, let, let's go back to the big statement we've been talking about this morning. And let's, let's start to wrap this up. Small conversations are so Important. As we help people find Jesus, again, there, there, are, no, there are no small conversations, not really anyway, because even conversations that seem ordinary aren't. And they send out these ripples into, into the lives of others that God can and will use in big ways. We, we saw this in Acts chapter 8. As we've talked about baptism, may, maybe you're considering baptism and you remember how you first found Jesus yourself when you decided to place your faith in him, my guess is small conversations were a part of you choosing to follow Jesus. So let's finish with our question that we all want to leave with. What big things will God do through the small conversations that you can have with others? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have chosen to use small conversations and you have chosen to use us as we take steps of obedience and and to, to give us the joy of helping others find the joy that new life in Jesus offers. So Jesus, I pray that you would just impress on the hearts of everyone here just three or four or even just one individual. Jesus, just one individual they can talk with and have some very intentional small conversations with. And, then, and God, I pray that they would be looking for opportunity, that you would be working ahead of them. Give us opportunity to point many towards you through these small conversations. And then, Jesus, we, we trust that you'll use these small conversations in big ways. So that way, Jesus, as we celebrate the new life that you're, that you're bringing to Brookside, through, through baptism and through everything else you're doing, calling people to yourself, Jesus, may we celebrate you and your saving, powerful, good, work, and the new life you offer. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.